0: Well, if you have your uh, Bible, turn it to Matthew 28 or you can use your worship guide. It's printed there on page nine. Well, what are we doing here? That's the big question that we are tackling in the, this current uh learning series that we're in uh, during the sermons. Uh, What is our purpose? What is our mission? What are we doing here? What is all this about? Now, we spent the last two weeks looking at a passage in Matthew 22 where Jesus gives what we've come to call the Great Commandment, or maybe better named the, the Great Commandments. Somebody who comes up to Him and says, Jesus, what is all the law and all the prophets all the things that the bible teaches what's what's the greatest thing or how would you summarize all of it and jesus says well uh, the, the greatest is that you would love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and then before the guy could walk away jesus says and the second is like it love your neighbor as yourself for all the law and all the prophets the whole bible hangs on these two commands now in that passage as we talked about over the last two weeks jesus basically articulates this is the purpose of life this is the purpose of life this is the purpose of work this is the purpose of religion this is the purpose of family everything is about loving god and loving one another and everything else that you read in the bible and even everything that comes that's revealed in nature about god all of God's law, it hangs on those two commands, love God and love your neighbor. So that's the first part of this series. where we, we did it. Two weeks of going deep with love God and love your neighbor. Today, we're shifting a little bit, and we're going to look at the mission of the church. What is the mission of the church? Now, the mission of the church and the purpose of the Christian life are related. They go together. Um, Sort of like we use the analogy of a football team. Uh, The purpose of a football team is to win football games. That's the ultimate purpose. But each team also has a mission. They have a playbook. Uh, They have uh, they have, well, they they have goals, which is scoring goals. They want to run the ball or throw the ball down the field, get touchdowns and field goals. So purpose of a football team is to purpose of football is to win the game. The mission of a football team is to get the ball down the field to score points and keep the other team from doing so. So in the same way, life has a purpose, loving God and loving one another. And the church carries out that purpose a certain way, according to our mission. So what is the mission of the church? Well, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus answers that question. He gives his the eleven, the eleven guys that he was commissioning as officers of his new church. He gives them what we have come to call the Great Commission. It is the mission of the church. So we could the Great Commission is. just a few verses, but we could talk about it for ages. Uh, I don't want to try to tackle the whole thing in one week. We're going to try to tackle it in six weeks, and I think in six weeks we'll be able to get a good view of the lay of the land of the Great Commission. Sort of like when you're in an airplane and you fly over, and you could see the ground, and you could see uh, how the, the farms are divided, and you could see how the cities, you know, city grids fit together. We're going to do a six-week slow flyover and get the lay of the land of the Great Commission. And we're going to try to apply what we learned to the life of our church. Uh, And as we've talked about already, the goal here is for us to recover the old mission of the church that Jesus gave. And I think we're going to see along the way that there might be places where we struggle Or or maybe we've drifted or maybe other places where we're doing pretty good. And the idea here is that by the work of the Holy Spirit in our church through uh, God working through repentance and faith and trusting Jesus and learning to do new things We would be more closely aligned with the old mission that's given to us as the people of God Okay, so let's read the passage. You know, i i I didn't print the whole chapter in the worship guide but i'd like to i'd like to read all of matthew 28 just to give the context of the great commission and then i want to do something um starting today for the next six weeks when we get to the actual great commission verses verses 18 19 and 20 i would like us to read them aloud together okay so i should have printed that part in bold in the worship guide i forgot i'll direct you so Matthew 28, I'll read, Uh, please stand for the reading of God's Word, and then I'll tell you the part where we need to start all reading together. All right, Matthew 28. Now, after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake. And the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He's not here. He is risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. And they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and with great joy. And they ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them. He said, greetings. And they came up and they took a hold of his feet and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers in Galilee and there they will see me. And while they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and they took, they told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell the people uh, tell the people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and they did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, Okay, now let's read this together. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold i am with you always to the end of the age this is the word of the lord you be seated let's pray together father in heaven thank you for your word uh it's wonderful and it's beautiful and it's life-giving lord i pray that we would be able to understand what it means, help us to be able to understand what it means uh, for us even today. Lord, I pray right now that as um, Jesus is risen from the dead and has all authority in heaven and on earth, I pray that you would help us to get a bigger vision for the reality that is his life being worked out in ours. Lord, I pray that as you did on the day of Pentecost, you poured out your Spirit, I pray that you would cause the wind of your Spirit to blow this way now in this time. Lord, I pray that you would help us to know ourselves better. Help us to know you better. Help us to see Jesus uh, as the link between us and you, and help us to cling to him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so, i got to lower this a little bit. There we go. Okay, so, the big idea here today, what we're going to look at is just the foundational claim that Jesus makes at the beginning of the Great Commission. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Then he says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching them. He goes on. Foundational claim right here at the beginning is Jesus' claim that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And it's on that premise, it's on that foundation that the church has this mission of going and making disciples by baptizing, by teaching, doing all these things. So the Great Commission, the mission of the church, rests upon the authority of Jesus. That's the big idea of the message today. That's that's the big point. So if you're a sermon note taker, that's the thing you want to write down. If you only have an attention span, that's a couple minutes. That's the big idea. You got it. The big idea is that the authority of Jesus upholds the church's mission. His authority is our foundation. Now, notice how these Great Commission verses are contextualized how this story is told in the text. It starts off with Sunday, Easter Sunday morning, res- resurrection morning. And it starts off with Jesus, some of Jesus' disciples, uh, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. And they come to the tomb and they meet an angel who rolls away the stone, strikes the soldiers that were there guarding it asleep. Angel tells them that Jesus is risen and to go tell the other folks and they go on their way and then they meet jesus they fall at his feet and take a hold of his feet and they worship him and then jesus says uh they talk for a moment and jesus says uh go tell the guys tell the guys uh, about what you've seen here that i'm risen from the dead and tell them to meet me in galilee so they go and then we have sort of a transition meanwhile in jerusalem Uh, the Roman guards who were at the tomb, they go to report the resurrection to the chief priests, uh, the the leader of, of the Jewish establishment there in Jerusalem. So here we have, by the way, representatives of the Roman state and representatives of the religious establishment coming together right after the resurrection. And they come up with this plan. The chief priests give the soldiers money to say that they had fallen asleep and while they were asleep the disciples came and stole the body which is sort of ridiculous because if they were asleep how would they know the disciples came and stole the body anyway that aside they gave them money to tell that circulate this story and in case they were worried about getting in trouble for sleeping on the job the chief priest said hey if the governor you know your boss's boss's boss uh, the Roman official here, if he finds out, we'll deal with him. We'll, we'll make sure that's okay. And so they all agree to circulate this story. Representatives of the religious establishment and representatives of the state come together and, they, and that story is circulated until the day Matthew writes this. And guess what? That story is still circulated even today. And then the scene shifts again, this time to Galilee. And this is where uh, the, it says the 11 went to meet Jesus. Now Jesus had lots of disciples. At one point, there's five thousand people following him. At another point, he sends out seventy-two of his disciples. Jesus, lots of people followed Jesus. Jesus counted lots of people as his disciples. After his ascension and gathered together on the day of Pentecost, his disciples were there, and there was about two hundred in number. So there was a big group of men and women probably some families, people in Jesus' discipleship circle. But there were 12 guys that Jesus had picked out specifically to be kind of like uh, elders, officers in his new movement. These were 12 guys that he had commissioned in a special way as apostles, which means sent one. So. He calls together the 11. Now, there was 12 guys. Oh, and by the way, those 12 guys were supposed to sort of represent, like, the 12 tribes of Israel. 12 tribes of Israel, 12 sons of Jacob, 12 disciples. It was a symbolic thing, the 12 part. Well, this says the 11 went to meet Jesus, and that's because one of the 12, Judas, uh, betrayed Jesus and then uh, took money and then felt really guilty and then committed suicide so he was no longer with them so the 11 oh yeah that's cuz of the judas thing that was horrible okay but the 11 guys they go they meet and this is remember this is the the like the like the elders the officers they go and they meet jesus in galilee and on a mountain that jesus had shown them and then jesus says All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. So, when we read it in context, we see that Jesus' authority claim, uh, it has... uh, sort of a political edge to it. The representatives of the state had conspired to put the Jesus story away, and Jesus says, all authority uh, in heaven and on earth belongs to me. We also see that Jesus' authority claim has has a uh, religious establishment edge. The chief priests had conspired to put the Jesus story away, and he says, no, no, no. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. We also see that it has a social edge. Jesus is met at the tomb by some of his uh, disciples, and then he meets the, has the eleven come, and he is, he's not just making this claim to anybody. He's making this to his people. All authority in heaven and earth has been given uh, unto me. The Jesus movement is a political and religious and social movement of nonconformity to the authorities of the world, but conformity to, instead, to the great authority over heaven and earth. Do you see how this, how Matthew is writing this? Jesus is standing there as uh, a new ruler He is standing there as a new kind of priest. And he's standing there as the leader of a new kind of community. And he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, on that premise, I want you to go and do some things. Okay. How does the, if the big idea for this part of the passage and for what we're doing today, is that the Great Commission—what the church is commanded to do—to go and make disciples of all nations, uh, baptizing, teaching—if uh, all of that rests on Jesus's authority, then we need to. We need to. And if Jesus's authority exists in these political and religious and social spheres, then we need to understand how all of this works. Uh. What is it about Jesus's authority that is so unique? That is so strong to uphold uh, the kind of uh, vision that Matthew is casting here with the context this social and political and religious What is it about Jesus's authority? That's so great Don't lots of religious leaders claim to have authority don't kings and queens and Uh, presidents don't all kinds of people claim to have authority what is special about Jesus's authority that we see him claiming in this moment well first and if you're a sermon note-taker you have your big idea the Great Commission rests uh, upon Jesus's authority or his authority upholds the Great Commission and now you have your first point which is this Jesus's authority Is divine authority. What makes his authority so unique? How does this work? How does it uphold so much stuff? Well, first, his authority is divine authority. Kids, do you know what the word divine means? No? Divine means it has to do with God. That's what divine means. Uh, So when Jesus says uh, when we when we say, when Charlie says uh, that Jesus has divine authority, Jesus has God authority. That's the kind of authority Jesus has. Now, I'm not just pulling that out of thin air. It's, it's there in, in the text. Uh, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Do you remember back when we talked about abraham's story and when he fought in that you know world war and at the very end even though he was the winner of the world war he didn't win anything he didn't get any new land he didn't get his and then he goes and he meets that priest who gives him a special blessing that priest melchizedek remember that well Remember Melchizedek's words to Abraham. He said, blessed be God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, or maker of heaven and earth. And that's the first time in the Bible we hear God referred to as the God of, or the Lord, or the maker, or the possessor of heaven and earth. But all throughout scripture, The only person who's ever talked about as the one who is over heaven and over earth from that point on is God. So when Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth, that's God authority, has been given unto me. He says, I possess it now. I'm the possessor of heaven and earth. You see that? um and then when the disciples both groups the ladies and then the eleven when they see him they it says in english it says they worshipped him did you catch that twice in the text jesus is worshipped well the word in our english bibles is worshipped the word if you look at the uh, the greek new testament which the original language it's written in is uh, Proskuneo, and that's where we get our word prostrate, like falling prostrate before, like a king. So, when it says they worshipped him, in the original language, there's that's not just like you know like a private worshiping in their heart. They fell down on their faces before him. And we see that in the story about the women. It says they took a hold of his feet. You can't take a hold of somebody's feet unless you really get down in front of them. They worshiped him. Now, this kind of thing, falling down and worshiping somebody, um, that is something that uh, across world history has 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 been acceptable to do for lots of different kinds of people. Maybe uh, the city magistrate or a king or something like that but in hebrew culture among the people of god that kind of falling down proskuneo is reserved for only god Uh, we know that because when uh the apostle in the the book of revelation in revelation 22 uh, the apostle john is having this beautiful vision of you know heaven and the end of time and this great thing and he's being He's given a, been, basically been given a tour of the end of the world uh, by this angel. And near the end of the book of, the, of Revelation, the end of the story, near the end of the vision, John does proskuneo in front of the angel. And the angel says, what are you doing? Stand up, stand up, stand up. Don't proskuneo, don't fall down before me. I am just a messenger. Don't do that, and John goes, whew. Okay, yeah, you're right. Whoa, my bad. <laughs> we don't fall down in front of angels. And then there's a story in Acts, Acts 14, when the apostle Paul and his buddy uh, were in this city called Lystra, and they healed a guy. And the people of Lystra thought that because they healed somebody that they were gods, and they tried to proskuneo in front of Paul. And Paul does the same thing. What are you doing? Don't bow down to me. Get up, get up, get up. We only bow down to God. Now, if an angel and the apostle Paul both freak out when people try to proskuneo in front of them, here we have Jesus twice. Uh, People proskuneo, fall on their faces. And what does he do? He receives it. He accepts it. And they fell down and they worshiped him. And then it says, and some doubted. This is one of my favorite and some doubted. These are three of my favorite words in the whole Bible. This little phrase right here. It says, when the disciples saw him, they worshiped him and some doubted, which means that the disciples, their worshipful response to him was very, very human. They had belief mixed with doubt. What they were seeing was Jesus in his resurrected glory, it was so unbelievable they couldn't believe it, but there they were. When we come in our lives, our spiritual lives, I don't know if you've ever had a moment where it felt like God was just so near to you, where uh, your belief was just so strong and it was like you felt his presence, those moments, we. Sometimes in worship, sometimes in prayer, sometimes in moments of crisis, we sense his presence. But there's always something in us because we're fallen human beings in the process of being restored. There's always something in us that doubts. But here, Jesus in his authority even takes that doubt that's mixed with worship and he receives it. And that's only something God can do. Only God can take your worship and take your doubt and receive them both together and not be uh, any other, any other lesser God is put off or offended by that. But not the Lord God most high maker of heaven and earth. He's not threatened by your doubts. You see that? So when Jesus says in this moment, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he's speaking about divine authority God authority and it's on the foundation that Jesus is the one who holds God authority that the church has a mission to go and to make disciples and to baptize and to teach Folks missional success for us as a church or for any church for that matter doesn't depend on us um, being good people or having uh, unshakable faith or having the best preaching Thank the Lord. (laughs) It doesn't have to be or having the best music or the best kids program or the best building or us being cool or us having the best angle on culture those things can be really good things. In fact, I think everything I mentioned was a good thing to strive for, but our success as Hope Presbyterian Church doesn't rest upon those things as their foundation. It rests upon God and God's authority. We can, I, if, if I work really hard and I become the best preacher in Portland, Or we work really hard and our music is just kicking or say I we all started dressing really cool Or we had like a place where every kid in the city wanted to come to our church because it was awesome Or we end up with the most amazing building. We could do all of these things And still not be building our missional house on a solid foundation We can do all of these things and it would mean nothing But if we build our missional work as a church on the God authority that only Jesus holds, then even in the midst of our doubt-infused worship, we can fulfill our mission as a church. It's not because of us. It's because of Jesus. This means that we don't have to... Uh, a really good application for this that I was thinking about earlier today is that uh, as a church, we also don't need to be on the defense all the time. Uh, What we're doing here is not very popular in our culture, and guess what? That is okay. Because our success doesn't depend on us being liked. We don't have to freak out when it gets hard. We don't have to freak out when... uh, you know, we maybe Charlie preaches over time one week. We, we don't have to be on the defense. We can rest in the authority of Jesus because it's God authority. Okay, so the Great Commission, the mission of the church, rests on the foundation of Jesus' authority. And what does that mean? Well, it means that it's God authority. And here's the second thing. Um, the authority of Jesus is human authority. It's human authority. Uh, Jesus is fully God and fully man, and his authority is God authority, and it's also human authority. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth. Yeah, heaven and earth go together as sort of an idiom, but we, we can't forget that earth is in there. All authority in heaven and earth, and then, and then he says, has been given to me. Now that part, has been given to me, is very, very very important. If Jesus is fully God, and he has God authority, and Jesus has been fully God the whole time, he was born and, and laid in a manger as God in the flesh. Why did the authority needed to be given to him? Wouldn't he have had the authority all the whole time? What does he mean? All authority in heaven and on earth, you know, earthly authority also has been given given to me well he means something very specific but it requires a little bit of biblical background so how much time do we have oh man we're over time okay I'll tell you what uh we can go 10 more minutes or we can cut it here and do this next week okay Is that okay with everybody i'll tell you what if you need to leave early that's fine all right let me tell you this human authority piece it's really important um remember how at the very beginning the story of adam and eve and remember how god put adam and eve in a garden uh, in the world and he gave them a job to do Do you remember what that job was to be fruitful and multiply and exercise dominion authority, over the earth. Now, them fulfilling that job was contingent upon obedience. That's why God said, by the way, here's the tree. Don't eat from that tree. You need to obey me in this matter if you're going to fulfill the mission I have given you, which is to exercise dominion and authority over the earth. Now, remember what happened? They sinned, and everything just went terrible right total mission failure right well since that time human beings uh since that time when when uh human beings failed to take a hold of the authority that God had commanded because it was contingent upon obedience and they didn't obey since that time various groups in the world have tried to seize that authority for themselves So we read the Bible, and we look at world history, and it's the story of empires and leaders trying to take a hold and control things. And it doesn't ever go well because the dominion that God designed for human beings is contingent or was contingent upon obedience. And there is not a person among us, us being the human race, the people trying to grasp that authority, who lived obediently enough to actually take hold of that authority. Now, um, in the book of Daniel, the prophet Daniel, who lived during the Babylonian exile, in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel is a prophet who lives in Babylon during the exile, and he has a vision. He has a dream, and it's full of crazy images, and it's a dream about world history, past, and future. And in the dream, he sees a series of animals that represent the leaders and empires of the world. First, he sees a lion, which represents Babylon. Next, he sees a bear, which represents Persia, who conquered Babylon. Then he sees uh, a panther. Which was represents represents Greece who Greece who conquered Persia And then he sees a tin horned dragon type like beast that represents Rome who conquered Greece and conquered the world He sees all these beasts. He sees the authorities and empires of the world playing out through history and then He sees somebody he calls the Ancient of Days Which is God sitting on a throne flaming with fire, shooting lightning bolts out at the bear and the lion and the empires of the world. And God is on his throne while the worldly empires try to take the authority that should have belonged to Adam if he didn't obey. Are you with me? And then in Daniel chapter seven fourteen, he writes this. And then I saw, behold, with the clouds of heaven, There came one like a son of man. Think Adam. There came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, all nations, and all languages should serve him. And his dominion, this son of man, is an everlasting dominion which shall never pass away in a kingdom that will not be destroyed. Here, Daniel has the vision of all these worldly empires trying to take a hold of the authority God meant for the human race. But we blew because we didn't obey. And here we see, out of nowhere, comes a man before the throne of God. And God says, you're the guy. And he hands over the authority over the whole world, all peoples, all languages, all kingdoms, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and exercise dominion. It's given to this man. Daniel has that dream. Now, when Jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me, that's exactly what he's talking about. I'm the son of man is what he's saying. Now, in order for Jesus to have gotten that authority, he needed to obey, right? That's where Adam failed. And that's where the kingdoms of the world, the Roman empires and the Jewish establishment, the chief priests, that's where Alexander the Great and all these, all these people have failed. they try to get the authority without obedience. So Jesus now claims the human authority. As the new Adam, the new ruler of everything, where was the obedience? Well, we read earlier in Philippians chapter 2, which said this. And this is where we'll kind of close. It said that Jesus, verse 6, who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he came as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And for this reason, God has exalted him and given him a name above every name. In the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. When Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me, and he says that right after he has risen from the dead, he is saying, I'm the son of man who comes in the clouds, that God has given dominion over the earth. Jesus is saying, I'm the new Adam. Where Adam failed in obedience, I was obedient. Adam failed in obedience because he took from a tree. Jesus was successful in his obedience because he hung on that tree for the life of the world. Do you see it? So when Jesus says, guys, 11, leadership of my new church, I have a mission for you. But first you need to know that all authority, divine authority, God authority, and all human authority, not like the empires of the world, but like it was supposed to be in the beginning with a servant king upholding everything, representing people to God, that belongs to me. Now go, therefore, and do some stuff. So, that's it for today. We'll pick it up next time. Let's pray.